Welcome today to our first week in our series, Come and See. This series started living in me and was kind of in my heart uh, back in February. Now, if you wonder what February is, remember the movie The Land Before Time? February is an idyllic month. And when you live in Michigan and say February's ideal, something went wrong after February. So back in February, uh, before coronavirus really started ravaging the world and doing things, um, shutting us down and the mask wars and all that started, um, I was with a mentor of mine uh, out on the West Coast, and he was talking about uh, evangelism, and he said this phrase, come and see. It's the simplest way to invite people to faith. And it was like the Spirit of God just reached in and grabbed my heart with that phrase. I remember talking to Erica about it that night on the phone. I remember getting home and saying, this really is something, I think this matters for us as a church. Um, as evangelistic as we are, as often as I say, go reach people, the idea of come and see really began to build within us. So what we did is we took all the times in the scriptures where that phrase is spoken, come and see. Come and see. And we really built our teaching series around it. An opportunity for you to be encouraged, to be blessed, and to be singularly focused on the mission of inviting people to come and see Jesus, the one who saved your soul and mine. So, without further ado, we're going to dive in to come and see. Pray with me. Lord, speak to us, we pray. May your spirit be um, our teacher. Your word, will it guide us, Lord, and the glory of Jesus Christ, our single concern in this time, that the glory of Jesus would be the thing that occupies our hearts. We pray this in his name. Amen. So, we probably don't think of this too much, but there is a, a thing that goes on in sports that I think has a real correlation in life. I was a quarterback in high school, and you may think, wow, I wasn't super good. I practiced a lot, but I didn't play a ton. But anyways, I loved, I loved playing quarterback. I love, I love the game of football, right? But there is a moment at which, as a quarterback, you want the ball in your hands. You want to make a play, right? All of us fancy ourselves the athlete, you know, of like a Cam Newton caliber. That was for you, Justin, but he's not with the Panthers anymore. Anyways, that was for Justin. But, um, but like you think about it, you want the ball in your hands. You want to be able to do something. But there is, there is times where you turn around you open up and you hand the ball into the gut of a running back, and this would this would be actually a gut right here where you just turn around and you hand it, they hit the, the A gap there and they're off to the races. And you hand the ball off and it you let it go. You let go of the ball and, and you have no more control over what's gonna happen. You have no more control over what's gonna happen. It's out of your hands. In life, this is a very real thing. Man, I remember when we had little kids what it was like, like that first time dropping them off at nursery, and you're like, don't you break this, and you hand it over, or you take them to three school, and their backpack is as big as them, and they're in like little new pants, and they're so cute in their little outfit, and you're like, oh, and you send them off, and they're like, I'm going to make friends, and you're like, oh, please make friends, you know, and you worry about them so much, because you're handing them off to someone else to care for them. A handoff is, is kind of this moment where you recognize you are totally out of control. Your part has been played, at least in that moment. When we talk about inviting someone to come and see, 
Come and see Jesus. Come and see him. What we understand is, in a way, we are handing them off into the care of Jesus. Not to the care of the church, not to the care of a pastor. We are saying, come and see Jesus. Come and meet him in the vibrant community of Christ and let Jesus reveal himself to them. It's trusting in Jesus on our part to say, come and see, is to hand them off and trusting that Jesus will take care of them and will give them what they need. I want you to join me. Got this awesome map here. By the way, uh, just a weather forecast. That thing right there is going to be an issue in the South Atlantic. Sorry, I just had to. It's like, you know, hurricane, no, sea monster. Um, but I want you to join me on a little trip here. I want you to, to kind of get into where we're going. It's come and see. It's the Indiana Jones airplane thing. I want you to imagine with me that we just stepped off a plane out in, let's say we landed in Jericho. It's still a city now um, in Jericho. And you get off the plane and it's that Middle Eastern hot, dry desert wind blowing off the Arabian desert, just boom, like a furnace in your face. Like when you open the oven, forgetting that it's 400 degrees, and it's like, and you have like no eyebrows. You're like, oh, it's so hot. That kind of heat. I want to invite you, join me, stepping out onto the dry, dusty plain of the Jordan River. And you're standing out there, maybe a little elevation, and you're looking and you can see that there is um, like a green snake kind of moving along the east. Along the east. And you're like, what is that? And you realize that that's all the trees and bushes that are thriving from the water that is the Jordan River. And you look down there and you can, you're kind of squinting in the sun and that heat on you. And you're like, oh man, why did I wear jeans, right? It's just so hot. And you're thirsty and you can feel it in the dryness of the air. And you look down there and you think, there's people down there. Like ants in the distance. You see a bunch of people and you're squinting in the sunlight like Clint Eastwood in a fistful of dollars, right? You're just looking out there and you find yourself walking down to the river and you're getting more thirsty. And you're walking you think, my God goodness, it is hot. It is dry. And as you get closer, you look and there's a large gathering of people and they look like city folks. And they're all listening to a guy who's standing knee deep in the river. And this guy doesn't look exactly normal. He's wearing a big camel skin coat with a leather belt and he's got honey in his beard, maybe some locust you know, legs in his beard because it's John the Baptist. And he is preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ to come into this world. He's preparing the way. And he's invited people to come and hear a message of repentance. Repentance is asking God to forgive you of your sins, but turning from them. Turning and living differently. And he's baptizing people in a baptism of repentance. In that cool water running through the Jordan River, he's out there in it baptizing people. People from all over Jerusalem and southern Judea are coming down to see this John the Baptist. The religious elite are off to the side, skeptically watching on. I wonder what he's doing. And John's out there preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted to make Jesus, he wanted to make the Messiah known. That was his goal and his job. 
and the opportunity presents itself. Now, John had disciples, and I want you to imagine with me. We're standing there. You, you're, you're kind of transfixed on this guy in the river. Even your thirst, you've forgotten about that, and you're watching this, and his passion, and his love for God, and his calling out to make straight the pathways for the Messiah, and you're listening going, what is going on? And suddenly, he looks past you. He's talking, but all of a sudden, his gaze goes beyond you, and I don't know if you've ever had that where you're talking to somebody and their eyes just kind of go about like right on your ear and you're like, right? All of a sudden he's talking but his gaze just alters a little bit. He's off to the side and you're like, what is he, what is he looking at? And then all of a sudden his tone changes. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and he's pointing right over your shoulder and you look back and there stands kind of a nondescript Hebrew rabbi. And his name is Jesus. And John, who lives in the wilderness and has disciples and people following him, when he first encounters Jesus Christ there, he says, look, look at that man. He is the Lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world. At his first opportunity, he takes all the focus off him. And he's easy to look at, look at. He's somebody kind of fascinating to look at, kind of a David Crowder looking dude. And he, he's like, he's somebody you could focus on, but he's like, don't look at me. Look, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At his first opportunity, he points to Jesus and says, don't look at me, look at him. His disciples He has men who follow him in this kind of solitary life he leads in the wilderness. And he tells his disciples, that's the one. Go with him. And some of his disciples go away with him. He hands them off. Why would he do that? Because he understands and he knows Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. So he sends them to him. He sends them to him. But what about now? What do we do now? Because for John, he has uh, kind of the, 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 the royal flush, right? Jesus is there. Like what I wouldn't give to be like, everybody look there. There he stands, the Lamb of God. As a pastor, it would make my job so much easier, right? Because you could just be like, you really should look there. It, please, I beg you not to look at me, right? You, you'd be easier to point them He was there, and he could say, there he is. There's the Lamb of God. And we think, sure, it'd be easy to say it because Jesus was there, because he was right with John. But here's the reality. You and I know that Jesus is here by his Holy Spirit. And when we say, come and see, we recognize that it's still scary. And when we point someone to come and see Jesus, and come experience Jesus, it can be scary. Because, well, Jesus isn't physically standing here. There is a leap of faith, a moment of trust in which we jump with abandon into the arms of him who saved us. It's not pure logic, though there's a great deal of history and logic to it. There is eventually a leap of faith, and it's scary to invite people to church. 
my kids, uh, my family in general. Like, I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky guy, but my family uh, can heckle me sometimes. My daughter, I believe, is the first one uh, who brought this up. Was she the first one? Or Well, my daughter or Josh. <laughs> Either one. I've been tormented uh, by them. But this is, I remember Bella doing this to me. She says, you know, she showed me this meme, and it was from Moana, and, you know, which is a pretty pagan movie, but uh, it has, like, uh, your your dad or the pastor, you know, on most weeks, and it's like this flowery thing, and it's all happy. And then it's like the, the pastor the week you invite a friend, and it's like, and it's like flaming eyes in the angry island, and it's like fire and brimstone, and Bella's like, oh, that sometimes happens. I'm like, no. Oh, my goodness, because it's scary because you wonder, well, is Eric going to be really intense this week? Is he really going to call out some serious sin issue in culture? What's going to happen? And it's frightening. Actually, I know Kyle made a meme of this, so I'm going to just let Kyle have his fun. Everybody can laugh. I'm going to adopt the posture of a pouting toddler Why I'm mocked because apparently there's some footage of me acting grumpy. So check this out. The pastor... On the first week, when it, on the normal weeks where everything's good, and then there's this. Oh, ha, ha, ha. It's so cruel. I haven't even seen it yet. I just know it's mean. All right. So that's what it's like. It's fearful. Like, what will go on when, when this happens? And the reality of this is we mistakenly believe that we know better. We know better, and our lack of inviting people to come and see is an admission in action that we are frightened of what they may experience. And we think maybe we know better than what Jesus knows they need to hear. Are we afraid because we, we think we understand better? Well, Jesus, you don't really understand the culture they're coming from. There's a lot of division in America, right? Or, um, you know, whatever it may be, we can, we can go into whatever little side channel of why we think we know better of why they shouldn't be invited or why you wouldn't bring somebody because you're scared of what could happen, thinking we know better than God does. We honestly will look at it and think, oh my goodness, if I invite them to church and they sing a song and it's weird and it, and it talks about oceans and they don't know why we're singing to the ocean, and they don't have a, a historical theological concept of what walking by faith out on the water means, because maybe they never read the story of Jesus walking on the water, or what it means to be called out into the unknown, and we're like, sorry, we're not singing to the ocean, and we think we have to defend God against that, right? It's, it's this moment where we're really having to trust or maybe they're worried that a song's, you know, too long, too loud. Maybe it's not like the tradition they were raised in. Maybe I'm super intense. Am I? Am I? No, I'm just joking. Like, maybe there's something like that going on in there. Maybe I'm not funny enough. Maybe I preach too long, which apparently during corona happened a few times. But here's the reality. We look at it and go, oh, my goodness, what if I bring up the Denver Broncos? And they're like, I hate the Broncos. And I'm like, there's got to be a church for them somewhere. No, I'm joking. Um, like, what if they don't like it? What if they look at Justin and they're like, why is Kidden Play leading worship with his hair so tall? I can't be part of a church where I can't get my hair up like that. Like, it's like a high jump bar to get over that. Like, it's amazing. I can't do that. I could never sing because my hair, it won't stand like that, right? We could have any number of reasons why we think we know better. And God would disagree with them all. He's the one who knit them together in their mother's womb. He's the one who knows what they need to hear. He's the one who died for them and loves them. 
And what I would like to do is invite you to a courageous step of obedience, inviting people to come and see. Not what you think they need, but what God thinks they need, what they need. And here's a great story. It's the call of Philip and Nathaniel when Jesus called them to be his disciples. When he calls them to be his disciples and speaks an accurate word. I would like to read this with you and have you catch up in this story or, or follow along in this story. John chapter 1, verse 43 uh, through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there, Nathanael asked? Come and see, Philip said. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. (laughs) And if you're wondering if he's right, listen to Nathanael. How do you know me? That's what he said to Jesus. Like, I just think to myself, like, it's amazing. Like, he just kind of barks that back out. How do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael cried, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you. I saw you under a fig tree. You will see greater things than that, he added. Very truly I tell you, you will see the Son, you will see heaven open up, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Nathanael is this fascinating person. Like, when you think about the call of Philip and Nathaniel, Jesus, so just real quick context, Uh, when you look at um, Andrew and Peter, right? So Andrew and Peter were disciples of John the Baptist, who, when John said, the the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, they're some of John's disciples who left John and followed Jesus. So he pointed to them, said, look, look, behold him, and they followed him. The next person is Philip, and he just looks at Philip and he says, follow me. Philip's like, Done. Done, right? He, he recognized, his spirit recognized something in Christ and he followed him. But then he stumbles on Nathaniel. And I love Nathaniel in this because in this situation, he, he seems like a different guy, right? Have you ever met that person? Just kind of a different cat. And you're like, I don't know if I want to go try like, you know, like riding cows in a pasture at night with you, or if I just want to stay away from you, because you're kind of weird. Like, just a different, maybe a little too blunt. Maybe he says, you're like, you know, I hate your clothes. Dude, why would you say that? I just don't like them. But we don't know each other. Why would, you know, there's people who just sometimes don't have that filter. I think of Nathaniel being in that vein. He was obviously a critical thinker. He looked at things, he observed, he interpreted, and he let out of his mouth his thoughts on them. It's clear that he did this. He was at least very analytical. He was straightforward, maybe to a fault, and he might have even landed in the camp of a skeptic, someone who's always rolling their eyes, you know? You go to a Star Wars movie, and they're like, oh, that doesn't fit with the original trilogy, and you're like, don't you ruin this for me, right? Someone like that. I don't mean to run him down. He's a disciple of the Lord, and I really like Nathaniel, but I think that's an honest look at him. Philip wasn't worried about how Nathaniel would respond to Jesus. Philip wasn't worried at all. He's the one who said, come and see. Come and meet Jesus for yourself. 
He knew that Nathaniel was a skeptic, critical, really analytical, and probably a little sharp-tongued, yet he called him. And the call wasn't Philip saying, oh, you've got to meet this Jesus guy. He's super cool. He, he heals people, and, and, and John thinks he's the Lamb of God and all this stuff. No, no. He doesn't fight for Jesus' reputation. What does he say? Come and see. Come and see. Go lay your eyes on the man yourself. Come and see him. And what I love in this is Philip does it because he knows who Jesus is. He knows who he is, so he's confident in that Jesus will speak a word that Nathaniel will respond to. He will do the thing that Philip can't. He knows how Nathaniel's knit together. He knows Nathaniel's story. His heart is for Nathaniel. Jesus' heart is for him. Philip may want his best, but Jesus intrinsically created him in his own image. So when we talk about this, we can look and see Philip trusted Jesus because he knew him. And the reality is for us as a church, we have to trust Jesus because we know him. We know he will speak a difficult word. Nathaniel's walking up and Jesus says, now there's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit, right? He just throws that out, right? And he says it right after Nathaniel rips his hometown. Like, think about it. Philip's like, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Jesus isn't like, you know, because you can just imagine, like, you know, the Nazarene Knights or whatever their high school was. It's like, oh, we totally beat you in football. Jesus wasn't like that. My hometown's better than that, and he didn't do that at all. He looks at me and says, now here's a guy who's unlike anybody else in Israel. There's no deceit in this guy. And he isn't like, thanks, man, I appreciate that. He's like, how do you know me? I'm like, dude, it's still Jesus. You can't talk to him that way, bro. It's like smite. Like, I, it bothers me, right? It doesn't bother Jesus. How do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. That culturally would have spoken a word into Nathaniel's soul. Why? Because in this day and age that, that they're living, to sit under a fig tree was actually the posture of someone who was learning and meditating and chewing on the scriptures, wrestling with something. And what Jesus is saying by saying that is, I've seen you wrestling with who the Messiah is and who God is. I've seen you wrestling with the word of God. And instantly, Nathaniel recognizes a spirit within Jesus that his heart has been desiring. And he says, you're the king. You're the Messiah. Because Jesus says, I've seen you wrestling. I've seen you struggling with this. And he speaks a word that is accurate and he handles his encounter with Nathaniel differently than other people would. Why? Because Jesus knew this trait in Nathaniel, the analytical, skeptical, critical thinking kind of guy, and he just names it. Dude, you're a thinker and you're under there wrestling with something. Have some peace. I'm here. I'm what you're wrestling about. And Nathaniel recognizes it. He referenced a passage that spoke to Nathaniel. It's kind of an obscure thing. Then he adds, like this is an interesting thing. Nathaniel says, um, he said, uh, you are the rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And he's like, you believe because I told you about it, but here's what he goes on to say. Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open up and the angels ascending and descending on me. It's kind of a random thing, but here's what we know. There's something in Nathaniel 
that needed the assurance of who Jesus was. And Jesus spoke a word that landed in the softest little chink in his armor and went right to his heart. And Nathaniel followed Jesus Christ with the rest of his days. Why? Because Philip said, come and see. Come and see. We can let Jesus win the people we invite to the church. All we do is say, come and see. And that's what happened in this. So let me ask you a question. Philip had to trust him to invite Nathaniel. His skeptical, kind of hard to be around friend, right? But he said, come and see. Why? Because he trusted Jesus. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus in a way that will allow you to put skin in the game and ask, invite somebody to come and see, even though you yourself may think like, well, what if I end up looking bad? What if Eric yells that Sunday? What if it's just a really bad sermon, he gets lost and falls off the stage? Well, what happens, right? What if Justin's hair collapses and it goes wrong? What if he gets buried under it? Oh my goodness, what if, what if, what if? What if we don't trust Jesus? And people go to hell apart from him because we didn't have the courage for three words, come and see. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? If you invite someone to come and see, do you trust that whether it's a good worship service or whether the coffee's cold and everything goes wrong at the foundry, that for some reason Jesus knew that's what they needed? And when they came and see, maybe they met the risen Lord and not all the extras that go with it. They just met him. Do you trust to invite someone to come and see? That's the real question. John was sure of who Jesus was. John the Baptist, the guy knee-deep in the river with locusts in his beard and some honey dripping down wearing a camel skin. He trusted Jesus, and we see it because when Jesus came by, he said, dude, stop looking at me. There, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said, behold, which really means just fixate on him. Don't look away from him. Don't worry about me. Anything else, there's the answer. Look at him. That's what we're seeing in this. He trusted Jesus because he was sure of who he is. He was sure of who he was and is. And so he sent everything that mattered to him in the world, his friends, his followers, and his ministry, he sent off with Jesus. And praise God for trust like that. Because that is the forerunner to our life. We have to live like that. Get all eyes off me, all eyes off you, and invite people to come and see Jesus Christ. Philip was sure of who Jesus was, and he trusted Jesus to reveal to Nathaniel himself. He would reveal to Nathaniel who Jesus was, right? Jesus would do this work on behalf of Nathaniel, and Philip trusted him to do it. And I love that about this story. So let me just ask it in these words. Do you trust Jesus enough to come, to invite somebody to come and see? And we say it like this at the foundry. Come and see Jesus. Meet God here on his terms, not ours. Come meet God on his terms, not ours. That's the invitation. If your nerves keep you from inviting someone to come and see, I have, to, I have to challenge you. I'm not even asking. I'm challenging you to let go. You don't have to give a theological disposition on your positions around, you know, Calvinism or Armenianism. You don't have to give any of these big things. All you have to say is come and see the one who saved my soul. Come and see Jesus. 
Come and see Jesus and put into his hands the divine handoff where it leaves your control and put them into the hands of the one who formed them, the one who loves them, the one who died to save them. Will you trust Jesus enough to speak three words of courageous, desperate obedience? Come and see the one who died for you. That's the challenge of this teaching. That's the challenge of this series. It is that simple. It is not our job to win souls. It's our job to be brave enough to invite people to meet Jesus on his terms, not ours. Oh, amen. I'm all about this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the way that you're working in your church even now. Thank you for the faces that are popping into the minds of people watching this teaching. They know that they need to hear the word come and see. Thank you for the skeptics who are scary to talk to that you're not afraid of. Thank you for the people who are like Philip who you just say, you know, follow me, and they do. Thank you for the, the things that feel like easy wins. Thank you for the fact, Lord Jesus, that we don't have to do the work of saving. We simply invite people to come and see. So today, Lord Jesus Christ, we hand off our nerves to you, and we embrace the high calling to invite those who are far from God, to invite those who have walked away from you to come and see to come and see, and we'll trust that you have a word for them that will bring them home to the family of God. We pray this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity of God, who loved us enough to sacrifice the life of Christ for our behalf. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us with your life. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling us and equipping us to just speak and whisper the words, come and see. And thank you, Heavenly Father, that you desire to bring us home to you in the love of Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen.